0: Hello, this is Lisa, CEO of Sight for White and White Sense, welcoming you to this week's talking news on Friday the 29th of February 2024. So, gentlemen, you need to be careful today, as, of course, it is a leap year and ladies are entitled to ask you to marry them. So I hope there's some beautiful proposals that happen today. This week, Ruth, one of our trustees... Myself and her guide dog, Mocker went and did a talk at Yarmouth Women's Institute. It's really important that we get out into the community. It's always very interesting what questions were asked at the end. A particular topic that came up was cane training and how people on the island felt there was no training available. So, of course, we put this right and confirmed that our Rovi, Pete, working with the White Sense team, will offer cane training on a timely basis for anyone who needs it. With the persistent rain still continuing... I'm really looking forward to the 21st of March shortly after which the clocks will change and spring officially starts. Please everybody, stay safe. Lisa, CEO, Sight for White and White Sense.
1: Here is this week's charity news. 1st of March, 2024. Swimming is on Monday between 1.15 and 2.15pm at Medina Leisure Centre, Newport. The cost is £6 plus transport. We have the whole use of the pool and you can enjoy lane swimming or just gentle relaxation
2: in the water. Our book group meets on Thursday in Newport Library at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. This group is free to join and is always looking for new members. We still have
1: spaces available for the pottery on April the 20th at Jubilee
2: Stores Newport. The cost is £25. The art classes by Maddie start on March 13th and again there is space available. The cost is £10 which includes all materials you need. If interested in either, please call the office and speak to Susan. Our knitted Easter egg covers
1: are arriving now at Millbrook and are on sale at the suggested donation of £2 and they can be found at Forest View Nurseries the Sloop in Wootton and, of course, our Dress for Less shop in Newport. If anyone would like a basket of chicks, we can always gift wrap for you if you call
2: the office. Our monthly 100 Club has spare balls available if anybody would like to buy a ball. It is £2 a month or £24 for the full year. The more balls in draw, the higher the prize money each month. If you would like to take part in our monthly draw, please call the office. This is part of our fundraising activities.
1: If you would like to join any activity or want more details, please call the office on 52 22 05.
3: This article from the Island Echo, read by Howard, concerns one lady's fight against cancer. Mum of four, Sue Bulmer, has thanked the generosity of those who donated funds towards her cancer treatment, which has allowed her more time with her family. In 2009, at just 35 years old, Sue Bulmer from Sundown found she had ocular melanoma in her left eye and as a result had her whole eye removed. Some 13 years later, in October 2022, whilst having her yearly liver scan, Sue found out that the melanoma had returned and changed into her liver. This is sadly classed as stage four incurable cancer. Despite undergoing three courses of immunotherapy at Southampton General Hospital, sadly, as it does with many other patients, the immunotherapy made her very unwell and her liver was unable to cope and started to fail. As previously reported by Island Echo, a fundraiser was launched back in March 2023 to raise money to allow Sue to undergo chemo saturation, a revolutionary cancer treatment. A total of over 80,000 pounds was raised thanks to the generosity of local people and businesses. Among them were Apex Competitions who donated 7,500 pounds. A mystery person donated £30,000 on the day of Sue's 2nd chemosaturation treatment and their identity remains unknown to this day. Despite the success of the first two courses of treatment and Sue being told that the size of her tumours had shrunk in half, doctors have now revealed that the cancer has spread once again and that to take money for a third treatment would be unethical. Determined to carry on with her life as best she can, and supported by her husband Billy, who's been at her side throughout it all, Sue is in the process of sorting out a return to the Briar's care home in Sundown, where she worked as a caregiver before she was forced to stop working. Speaking to Island Echo on heading back to work, Sue has said, I didn't think it would be possible to get to the point where I could go back to work. But I know I've got so much left to give. It's a little while away for now with the paperwork bits to do, but I'm hoping to get back to doing some part time hours in the next month or so. Everyone at the Briars has been amazing throughout everything. I'm really grateful. As for the rest of 2024, Sue is to celebrate her 50th birthday later this year and is looking forward to seeing pop megastar Taylor Swift with her daughter in the summer after her son-in-law bagged the pair some tickets. Sue went on to say, Thanks to everyone who donated, your generosity has brought me time with my family and friends. I wouldn't be here without you. My faith in God and in humanity has been restored. Major Shell
4: Fleet Housing Development, set for green light. From Isle of Wight Radio, Read by Joyce Fletcher A major Isle of Wight housing development could be given the green light next week to build 70 homes on a greenfield site. Plans to extend the recently constructed Burt Close Scheme in Shellfleet have been with the Isle of Wight Council for nearly two years and could include 27 affordable homes. The proposals have reached received more than 90 objections, with concerns being raised about the urbanisation of shell feet, quote, no need, quote, for housing, and the impact it may have on nearby protected ancient woodland. The application will be decided by the Isle of Wight Council's Planning Committee at a meeting on Tuesday, March the 5th, but officers are recommending the proposals are approved, subject to 24 conditions. In their decision report, officers say the proposed housing would benefit the village as the additional footfall would help keep rural service like the local shop, pub and community facilities and pupils to the primary school. Overall, the houses would make a meaningful meaningful contribution to those needed in the West White, officers said, and the development would be of high quality, paying due regard to the village. Planning documents have said there is a, quote, medium, quote, potential for paleolithic paleolithic Roman and medieval remains at the site – And a staged program of archaeological works would be a condition of the planning permission if it is approved. The site proposed for housing is not designated for ecology reasons but is next to Pond Close Copse, which is a site of importance for nature conservation and ancient woodland. A 15 meter landscape buffer has been included as part of the plans. Between the houses and the woodland, an officer say would protect, conserve and enhance ecology and biodiversity. Through the plans, an existing right-of-way could be formalised, connecting Warlands Lane and Main Road through a £70,000 contribution. Nearby heritage assets would not be harmed by the development officers say, but there would be harm significantly changing the view and character of the area. Weighing up the benefits, officers have said the harmful impact would be outweighed by the delivery of new housing in a suitably sustainable location and considered the development
5: acceptable. This is Michael reading an article from Ireland Echo. Plans for an eco-friendly retreat in the West White still on the table. Tree houses, safari lodges and tiny homes are all part of the planned eco-friendly retreat on the main road to Yarmouth. The plans were first unveiled in May 2021 and submitted in the following year to the Isle of Wight Council with hopes the woodlands... A lamping project proposed by Alan Short and Simon Hurst of Acorn Properties, IOW, would be opened by spring 2024. However, the plans are still sitting with County Hall and have been put out for consultation once again after further changes were made to the proposals, which have now removed staff facilities a restaurant and a multifunctional barn. The barn would have been a central point of the tourism site. It was set to include a balcony, deck, area, pond and outdoor tent, but these plans have also been removed. Well-being buildings, including a spa and treatment room with sauna pods, an amphitheatre, landscape zone, And 31 accommodation units are still included in the plans, which could sit in Lee Copse next to Luckett's Farm. The plans have received mixed feedback with a host of supportive comments, but fears it could significantly impact the protective ancient woodland and designated wildlife habitat has also led to multiple objections. You can view the plans 22 forward slash 00713 forward slash full FUL on the Isle of Wight Council's planning register. Comments can be submitted until the 22nd of March. This is Petrina
6: reading from Isle of Wight Radio. Islanders expected to face tax hike for fire and rescue service. Isle of Wight residents could have to pay 3% more from April for the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue Service as warnings are issued about its finances in the future. It means the average Band D, council taxpayer, could have to pay a precept of £82.84 for the year, a £2.41 rise. That is on top of additional taxes paid to the Isle of Wight Council, as well as Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, Gansabary and Town, Parish and Community Councils. The increase is the recommended option going before the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue Authority, H-I-W-F-R-A, at a meeting next week, Tuesday, February 27th. A report says the rise is essential to ensure the financial sustainability of the HIWFRA, raising an additional two point one million across the region. If the increase is approved, islanders would contribute more than four point five million to the service's budget. Officers said it was disappointing no additional government money was awarded to support the Fire Authority after Westminster gave the Isle of Wight Council an additional £3 million in recognition of the additional cost of providing services on the island. The HIWFRA has been able to balance its budgets for 24 25 but it is a warning of a four million gap for twenty five twenty six and says plans to address the deficit must be developed and implemented. It is citing a range of financial pressures for the expected future budget gap, including an end to one off funding and below inflation rises in other funding streams. The report says any reduction to the service would not be an efficiency, adding it may be necessary to consider service reductions in the future, but these would be subject to a separate plan and appropriate consultation. Instead, it is looking to increase the efficiency of its workforce to optimise delivery of its frontline and support services. Further proposals will be drawn up in the next financial year and actioned from April 2025.
3: This article from the Isle of Wight radio read by Howard concerns response levels by the Island Fire Services. Mainland fire crews responded to major incidents 15 times on the Isle of Wight last year, that's more than double that in 2022. Figures have been revealed following the Freedom of Information request by the Local Democracy Reporting Service after a review into how the fire service operates on the island was announced. Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue Service, HIWFRS, has said the review will tackle the known resilience challenges and the evolving and unique needs and risks on the island. In the past five years, 41 incidents required the support of mainland crews on the island, with more than a quarter happening last year alone. In 2022 and 2021, there were seven incidents each. A total of 33 mainland crews were re- deployed to the 15 incidents in 2023. At one incident, an agricultural barn fire at Bochum, crews from nine mainland fire stations were mobilized to provide cover. On the same day in December, a further five mainland crews were called to a domestic fire in Brading. Other incidents included rescuing people from mud, small vehicle fires, and assisting with bariatric patients, as well as responding to false alarms. In previous years, crews have also responded to aircraft incidents, derelict property fires, and assisted other emergency agencies. Responding to the figures, HIWFRS said it regularly moves appliances strategically to ensure suitable cover is provided across all areas. A spokesperson also said they use the professional judgment of officers and control teams to match resources to the identified risk within procedural guidance. It works for standard response plans, HIWFRS said, influenced by national operational guidance, which predetermines the resources sent to most incidents, regardless of geographical location. It's said as a unified service, it's better positioned to share resources across the Solent, ensuring greater resilience. Mainland crews also provide operational cover and attend island based exercises and training scenarios, HIWFRS said, to familiarise themselves with island risks. As the number of incidents has increased, so has the cost of transporting the crews, engines, and equipment over to the island. In 2021 22, FRS spent £1,657 on travel costs, which more than doubled the following year, that's twenty two twenty three, to five thousand one hundred and three pounds. The travel costs have doubled again in the current financial year from April twenty twenty three to January twenty twenty four. So far HIWFRS has forked out eleven thousand and eighty pounds to bring crews to the island. Costs were also requested for the years prior to the merger between the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire Services, but the data was unavailable.
4: Former Posty's journey to be recounted at Medina Bookshop from Isle of Wight Radio, read by Joyce. First-time author Derek Babington will be in conversation with his editor, Pat Murgatroyd, discussing and reading passages from his heartwarming memoir, Posty to Pirate, at Medina Bookshop next week. Posty to Pirate is a book that came about while the author was recovering from a life-threatening illness 12 years ago. Derek Babington, a posty at Ventnor in the 1970s, went on to be a professional storyteller for island schools and a volunteer watch leader on tall ships. He was also one of HMS Victory's cutter crew. He takes readers on a fascinating journey in this witty memoir. Whilst writing the book, Derek found himself in hospital again two years ago and said with a smile, I was not sure what the outcome would be, so I decided to write the last chapter before I had completed the book, just in case. Thanks to Paul Armfield at Medina Bookshop Cows. Derek will be discussing his memoir on Thursday the 7th of March at 7 o'clock in the evening. Musical interludes of Songs of the Sea will be performed by local musician and folk singer John Hacker. Tickets are £5, refundable on the purchase of a book in person from the shop or by phone on 01983 three three thousand four four or online at medinabookshop.com. The venue is not licensed and
5: customers are invited to bring their own refreshments. This is Michael reading an article from Isle of Wight Radio. Council consults on new drainage guidance to help reduce flooding. New developments and the surrounding areas could benefit from a reduced risk of flooding thanks to a clearer approach to drainage guidance for planning applications. The Isle of Wight Council is consulting on new drainage guidance for developers to include in planning applications. This is to ensure new development is designed to manage surface water in the best possible way. The new approach to drainage will ensure suitable drainage systems suds in brackets are designed as part of new developments to reduce the impact of heavy rainfall by using features such as soakerways, grassed areas, permeable surfaces and wetlands. By reducing the overall amount of water that ends up in the sewers during heavy rain, the number of storm overflow discharges to the sea can be reduced. Certain features such as tanks and water butts also allow for water reuse and reduce pressures on water resources. The benefits of sustainable drainage systems are many from mitigating flood risk to catching and storing surplus water and reducing storm overflow discharges to enhancing local nature in the heart of our developments and helping with harvesting valuable rainwater. Councillor Paul Fuller, Cabinet Member for Planning, Coastal Protection and Flooding, said, Everyone on the island is well aware of the severe impact that flooding has on our community that storm events are becoming more regular and more extreme, and it is important that the Council does everything it can to try and minimise these impacts. Part of that work is to ensure that new development is designed to manage surface water in the best possible way to help reduce the likelihood of flooding in our communities. I would encourage people to read and comment on the document and look forward to being able to use it when making planning decisions so we can ensure that new development manages surface water in the best way for our island. The proposed new guidance will support improved development but all islanders can support the reduction of excess water into sewers at home by using water butts on on downpipes and taking water-saving measures such as reduced-flow toilets and shorter showers. Following the consultation, the draft SPD will then be taken to Cabinet in May Where councillors will be asked to formally adopt the SPD. If it is adopted, the SPD will be used as a material consideration when determining planning applications. The consultation will run until Friday the eighth of march twenty twenty four, and more information can be found on the council's website. Comments can be submitted by email. To policy.consultation at iow.gov.uk by posting to Planning Services, C-Close Office, Fairley Road, Newport, PO30 2QS. Copies of the draft SPD are available to view at reception at both Seaclose Offices and County Hall.
6: This is Petrina reading from Isle of Wight Radio. Cowes Hamlet Court. Redevelopment Rejection for Dilapidated Building. A major redevelopment of a dilapidated building in a prominent position on Isle of Wight seafront has been rejected. The Government's Planning Inspectorate has refused planning permission for Hamlet Court in Cowes. It said it should not be demolished if it can be retained, adding it makes a positive impact on the surrounding conservation area. Developer and partial freehold owner Hamlet Court Regeneration wanted to pull down the nearly 200-year-old building and replace it with two luxury villas. Plans were submitted to the Isle of Wight Council in May 2022. Because County Hall did not make a decision in the statutory time frame, the matter was passed to the Planning Inspectorate at the developer's request. The Planning Inspectorate said the complete loss of Hamlet Court, which is described as a waterfront villa, would be harmful to the conservation area. It said there was a lack of information to justify its demolition, and pointed to an overall loss of residential accommodation, as two houses would not make up for the seven flats currently in the building. It recognised the poor condition of Hamlet Court, but said that the alternative plans would not preserve or enhance the character or appearance of the conservation area. It called the design of the proposed new builds heavily glazed, And incongruous against neighboring dark roofs and smaller scale properties. However, improved site security and the economic benefit of the plans were noted. Meanwhile, Hamlet Court Regeneration has already submitted a revised application but it has yet to be considered by planners at County Hall.
3: This article from the Island Echo, read by Howard, concerns mental health issues on the island. Mental health issues for young people on the island have received a huge boost thanks to a £200,000 government grant to develop an early intervention hub. The grant has been awarded to the Isle of Wight Youth Trust, the island's largest voluntary sector, provider of mental health and well-being services for children and young people. The money will support the Youth Trust's Early Intervention Hub, which was set up initially with funding from the Big Lottery Fund, following suggestions by service users who identified gaps in existing provision. As well as providing counselling and well-being support to children and young people, the service has developed to provide a range of support including housing in partnership with Sovereign Network Group and Employment Advice through a partnership with the Isle of Wight Council and Department for Work and Pensions. The additional funding from the Department for Health and Social Care will help the charity to expand its service so that it can support even more young people on the island in ever-increasing ways. Specifically the funds will be used to Expand information, advice and guidance. Get information out into communities to raise awareness of the help that is available. Introducing advocacy for young people and reopening the counselling service for 18 to 25-year-olds. Providing additional support to neurodiverse children and young people. Maintaining and increasing the trust's parent support sessions. Creating a refreshed, more visible and accessible space for young people to visit for support. Joe Dare, the CEO of Youth Trust, said, from increasing levels of referrals and the comments made by children and young people in our census last year, it's clear that more young people are struggling with their mental health. We're working to ensure that no young islanders feel alone with the worries and challenges they experience. Through listening to young people, the youth trust is now ready to take the next step in its evolution to create an accessible one-stop shop where they can receive the help and support they need or be helped to access other appropriate services this funding has enabled the youth trust to continue to meet the needs of an increasing number of young people katie durkin youth social action Development worker and Task Force Coordinator, said, The young people I work with on the task force are extremely pleased that their views are be- being listened to and that services are being developed as a direct result of the feedback they've provided. These funds will make a massive difference to our work on the island, helping to provide a better future for those seeking support. Bob Seely, MP said, The Government is right to recognise the important work being done by the Youth Trust and I'm delighted to welcome this funding. As ever, I'm delighted that the Government is prioritising the Isle of Wight. We're one of 24 areas in the country to receive this funding. I know that early access to mental health support for young people will be welcomed by island families. The money has been allocated for an initial 12-month period So I'll be working with the Youth Trust to do what I can to extend this funding into future years. Councillor Jonathan Bacon, Isle of Wight Council Cabinet Member for Children's Services and Education, said, we're delighted with this news, which will strengthen the mental health provision for young people across the island. We'll work with our colleagues at the Isle of Wight Youth Trust, with the development and promotion of the Early Intervention Hub to ensure all young people on the island are aware of this new resource.
4: Three men from Southampton charged over Sunday's Co-op Shanklin Burglary from the island Echo, read by Joyce Fletcher. Three men from Southampton have been charged with burglary after a quantity of cash was stolen during a break-in at the Co-op in Shanklin on Sunday night. As first reported by Island Echo, police cordoned off the supermarket on Landguard Road after several individuals gained entry to the store at 22.53 on 21st February. Entry was forced through the front doors. Island Echo can reveal that three people were subsequently arrested by police on the High Street in Cows near the Red Jet, at just gone 9am on Monday morning, less than 12 hours after the store was targeted. Now, Hampshire and Isle of Wight Constabulary has confirmed that 41-year-old George Mason of Kingsdown Way, 37-year-old Danny Kernigan of Golden Grove and 33-year-old Robert Mandare of Cossack Green all from Southampton, have been charged with burglary other than dwelling. The trio appeared before the Isle of Wight magistrates' court court yesterday, Tuesday. No pleas were entered. Danny Kernighan, who is also charged with failing to provide, has been remanded in custody with Robert Mandair and George Mason granted conditional bail. Mason is also accused of driving without a licence and insurance. The three men will all appear before the Isle of Wight Crown Court on 8th April. These charges come less than two weeks after two other men from Southampton, 37-year-old Thomas Paul Edward Weller and 33-year-old Billy Craig Connis, were charged in connection with a similar burglary at the co-op in Sandown. On this occasion, some five thousand pounds was stolen. A large amount of cash was stolen from the corp in East Cowles
5: back in January. This is Michael reading an article from Ireland Echo, from Millie Road to affordable housing, proposals being put forward to change 2024 to 25 budget. Increase the affordable housing a study on the future of the iconic Military Road and a facility for children and young people with extensive special needs are all proposals being put forward to change the Isle of Wight Council's 2024-25 stroke budget. Ahead of the budget-setting meeting tomorrow, Wednesday, Opposition councillors have put forward their proposals to change the ruling Alliance Administrations plans for the island in the year ahead. Each alternative proposal, however, keeps the council tax increase for residents at 4.99%, which would see a Band D taxpayers' bill increase by £90 a year to 1908 The Alliance has set out a range of plans which include increasing fees for marriages and cremations, freezing parking charges and restructuring the libraries and heritage services. But what have other councillors got to say? Councillor Richard Quigley and Geoff Brodie have proposed the opportunity to provide affordable homes for Islanders, by requesting the Cabinet executive review its assets, looking to sell at least £1 million worth to go towards further housing investment. The councillors have asked that grants be made available to registered social landlords for additional housing supply and £680,000 be borrowed, which along with the £1 million, would buy two-bedroomed houses and let them out. The Liberal Democrats have proposed adding an additional £250,000 to the Community Capacity and Resilience Fund, introduced by the Alliance. The money would come from removing the proposed Place Towns Initiative Fund and pulling £50,000 from the Council's transformation savings. The group says the money could then be used to address poverty in the mental health voluntary sector and to provide peer support for women moving on after trauma. Working together, the Conservatives and Empowering Islanders Groups are looking to carry out a number of feasibility studies with the potential to borrow millions of pounds in the future to provide solar panels over car parks, affordable prefabricated homes and create an island facility for children and young people with extensive special needs so they do not have to be sent to the mainland. The groups hope the council could work with developers to build affordable housing on council land using £1.9 million. The groups are also looking to use £250,000 to fund a comprehensive investigation into the options for maintaining the military road, create a tourism infrastructure fund so areas can be regenerated and keep the Council's contact centre open on a Saturday. Digital aids and technology enhancements could also be funded for adult social care. The amendments will be debated and a decision will be made at the full Council meeting on Wednesday.
6: This is Pedrina reading from the Island Echo. 77% of island schools have faced real-terms cuts since 2010, new data confirms. More than 75% of schools on the Isle of Wight have faced real-term cuts since 2010, new data has revealed. The School Cuts website, which is a campaign fighting against educational funding cuts, is run by education unions, National Education Union, Association of School and College Leaders, National Association of Head Teachers, and supported by Parent Kind and National Governance Association. Ahead of the 6th of March budget statement, those behind the websites are collectively calling for urgent action to reverse cut schools have faced since 2010. A total of 13 island schools have experienced real-term cuts of over £100,000, with the largest secondary school being £1.4 million at Ryde Academy and £600,709 at Cowes Enterprise College. In the primary sector, the biggest cuts have been at Shellfleet, two hundred and twenty seven thousand six hundred and ninety five pounds, Honey Hill three hundred and thirty three thousand nine hundred and three pounds, Lane's End six hundred and eighty thousand four hundred and seventy five pound. It was only last week that Lane's End Primary and Cows announced it was to cut teacher numbers. Fortunately, seven island schools have avoided real term cuts. However, the majority have been hit hard, particularly by the growing crisis in special educational needs funding. Commenting Peter Shreve, Assistant District Secretary of the National Education Union said, Despite regularly highlighting the plight of schools beset by years of underfunding, schools still face swinging cuts. The effect of 14 years of austerity are clear for all to see. The largest class sizes in Europe and yet again government failure to hit its teacher training recruitment targets for almost all secondary subjects. We know some heads have already been forced to calculate what extra cuts they are going to have to make in order to balance their budgets Twenty twenty four, twenty five. 25 In his October 2023 Conservative Party conference speech, the Prime Minister pledged, My main funding priority in every spending review from now on will be education. This promised funding priority was absent in the subsequent autumn statement. Will he keep his promise in an upcoming spring budget?
1: This is the second part of the Talking News, read by Lynn. And Tony. We begin with more news items taken from the County Press and the Observer. No quick fix for the floating bridge. Floating Bridge 6, FB6, will always need a boat to help push it across the River Medina during fast-flowing spring ebb tides, it has been revealed. A near £50,000 review by consultancy 3S using computer modelling, has ultimately found that FB-6 cannot operate without the use of a pushboat in strong tides, but neither could the former FB-5. Support by a second vessel is provided by Solent and Whiteline Cruises at a cost to the Isle of Wight Council of £658,000 over three years. The agreement is due to end next year, but has the potential to be extended. Speaking at a meeting of the Council's Corporate Scrutiny Committee on Tuesday, 3S said, FB6 was working, but it was failing to meet the targets set out in the business case, such as the average number of crossings required. The average time it took FB6 to cross the river was 3 minutes and 30 seconds, a snail's pace compared to FB-5's two-minute journeys, 3S said. However, the answer is not to bring back FB-5, 3S revealed, as it would not comply with the chain depth required by the cow's harbour master. The requirement was introduced after FB-5 was taken out of service. Any replacement vessel would have to be radically redesigned with a new hull and superstructure or a pushboat may be necessary even into the future. A lighter, smaller vessel would go some way towards achieving the required chain depth and resolving berthing issues. The consultant said there was no fix for FB6 that would be worth spending money on. The scrutiny committee agreed the only feasible option was to get a new floating bridge and to get on
2: with the process of procuring one. Drug Drive Plumber Off the Road A plumber caught drug driving his BMW M Sport car with more than twice the legal level of cannabis in his bloodstream was banned from driving. Connor Broom of Grange Road, Shanklin admitted drug driving on October the 4th last year when he appeared at the Isle of Wight Magistrates Court. The 25-year-old was heading along Braiding Road in Ride towards Sundown when police pulled him over, suspected him of speeding, for which he was not charged. The officers, questioning Broome, smelt cannabis on him and he immediately confessed that he had smoked a spliff that day, said Liz Miller, prosecuting. Broome subsequently failed a roadside drugs test was arrested and taken to Newport police station where he provided a blood sample. His reading was five point two grams per liter of the cannabis derivative THC. The legal drug drive limit is two. For Broome, with no previous convictions, Oscar Vincent said his client was recently made redundant with no realistic prospect of work as a plumber without his licence broom disputed he had driven too fast mr vincent added broom was fined 120 pounds with 85 pounds cost and a 48 pound surcharge together with a 12 month driving disqualification a dog warning after spate of attacks on livestock
1: Keep your dog on a lead near farm animals, say Isle of Wight farmers, after horrific attacks and as lambing season gets underway. Cattle owner Anna Smith of Compton Farm told the county press, We had just been to feed the Galloways on New Year's Day. A friend phoned to say our cows had been attacked. Two of them jumped over a fence and they were all heavily pregnant. The dog owner was very apologetic But if your dog is that mad around animals, surely you would make sure it's on a lead. Anna reported the incident because she didn't know what was going to happen and if her cows would lose their calves due to stress. Luckily they didn't, but one of them did suffer a dislocated hip and she won't get any better. She won't be able to go back out into the field. I'll have to destroy her once she's reared her calf, she said. Another went on to have two dead calves. I'll never know if that was related to the dog attack. She says she has nightmares about her herd losing their calves. In farming, everything is interconnected. If that had happened, it would have been catastrophic to the business. The Country Land and Business Association said attacks cause great distress and threaten livelihoods. Farm animals worth a million pounds were killed or injured by dogs in 2022 in the UK. A 50% increase since 2019, it said. Anna, who took on Compton Farm in 2007 from her grandparents, who farmed it from 1926, and who has around 115 cattle, praised the police for their support. Penny Smith of Hermitage Dairy near Chale lost Ewe Teasel when she was torn apart, the farmer of 30 years who has 160 sheep said we have had a few dog attacks over the years in distant fields. We never got to the bottom of those. The most recent one was last year and we caught the dog. Penny says a Belgian Malinois without its owner got into the field. We heard a lot of barking and went up to see what was happening and it had ripped Teasel to pieces. It was awful. I didn't want to press to have the dog put down. He was a young dog and I love dogs. The owner was given a control order, but the dog later went over a cliff and was killed. That's how much control the owner had, said Penny. She thinks problems have worsened since the Covid-19 lockdown. Loads of people bought dogs, but they've no idea you've got to train them and go on training them all their lives. Penny said, I wouldn't go through anybody else's sheep, even with my sheepdog off the lead. And she's worried about the attitude of the public too. There's a right of way across the field and they waltz across there with their dogs tearing about. It's a constant worry and now there's an application for a dog field at the bottom of the lane. Farmer Anna added, be aware of animals, the capabilities of your own dog and keep them on a lead if you think there is a need and you don't trust what the dog might do.
2: Families count cost of cancelled ferries. Whitelink passengers were left stranded without a ferry to catch for several hours overnight at the weekend. Four hot drink vendors were offered to one passenger whose midnight ferry was cancelled, with less than two hours' notice, forcing her to shell out £150 on a hotel. Victoria Hobbs was due to get on the midnight sailing on Saturday, but she was notified at 10.30 at night that it had been cancelled. She told the county press, I'm lucky I could find £150 at short notice. Others had to wait in a freezing cold car where it was icy outside. Another customer said her children, 10 and 11, her partner and her sister were also booked on the 11.59 at night of P- Portsmouth to Fishbourne Ferry and when told was the next was at five o'clock in the morning. The other option was to get on a fast cat to ride after midnight, leaving their car or a family member behind and to arrange onward transport. She said, my partner phoned the Whitling helpline at half past eleven which was a direct line provided on their website. The contact centre was closed. They drove to two nearby hotels, both of which were closed after 10.30 at night. She said, We eventually found one which cost just under £100. What else could we do? The temperatures had dropped considerably. Whitelink said a technical issue on St Faith had led to the cancellation of four crossings. It said, extra sailings from Portsmouth Harbour were laid on for foot passengers and refreshments were provided for customers who decided to wait for the next car ferry sailing. All affected passengers were contacted and advised of their options and how to claim the compensation to which they are entitled. The cross solent operator apologized, but did not provide details of how many customers were affected, and did not explain why a different ferry could not have been crewed by St. Faith's team. Whiteling said it had an excellent reliability record. Mr. Bob Seeley called Saturday's cancellations unacceptable and said the existing compensation scheme for late or cancelled ferries does not include the cost of an overnight hotel he said when whitling fails to run the last service of the day i don't think it's acceptable to ask islanders to pay out of their own pocket i will be letting them know how angry i am that they have let people down he said He plans to produce a policy about ferry travel in the next three weeks and will seek islanders' thoughts before putting it to the Isle of Wight Council.
1: The use of force was reasonable. An old school police officer whose tussle with an 11-year-old boy on the Isle of Wight led to a head injury for the child, and he's been cleared of gross misconduct after a ruling found the use of force was reasonable. The police misconduct panel ruled PC Stuart Pearson's attempt to deal with an unruly schoolboy were justified due to the boy's behaviour. The hearing was told the 48 year old officer shouted at the boy, grabbed his arm, and wrestled with him. It resulted in the child, who was labelled naughty, smacking his head against the wall. PC Pearson had been accused of acting totally out of proportion and was accused of fuelling the boy's hatred towards the police. Giving evidence, the Hampshire and Isle of Wight constabulary officer of almost 20 years said his use of force was a tactic he'd deployed. On February 21st, the misconduct hearing held in Eastleigh cleared P.C. Pearson of gross misconduct. Chair of the panel, Marcus Joyce, said the unpleasant boy's behaviour was so bad P.C. Pearson's use of force was unavoidable. However, P.C. Pearson was given a written warning after admitting bending down and shouting at the boy, amounted to misconduct as it was a breach of a Standards of Professional Behaviour offence. It was heard that in June 2022, P.C. Pearson and a junior colleague, P.C. Katie Rich, attended the boy's home to speak to him after he'd hit two youngsters. The boy's father was at home and was encouraging his son to listen and pay attention. However, the youth was rude and obnoxious. The situation escalated after PC Pearson took hold of the boy's left wrist and he and PC Rich pulled him up. Alan Jenkins, representing Hampshire and Isle of Wight Constabulary, told the hearing the situation developed by PC Pearson grabbing the boy's arm and there was a short struggle in which the boy's head hit the wall, whereby he sustained some minor injuries. The boy's father was understandably angry and he demanded both officers leave the house, which they did. PC Pearson admitted bending down and shouting at the boy was a breach of conduct. He told the hearing, I was concerned he was going to assault me from his general demeanour. I was dealing with the situation in accordance with my training. I was attempting to employ a communications tactic. In hindsight, I should have employed a different tactic. He said he hadn't lost his temper. He added, we're all human and we all make mistakes. Mr Joyce concluded, we conclude that PC Pearson was culpable of misconduct. For avoidance of doubt, he is not culpable of gross misconduct. PC Pearson told the hearing, I am sorry for my actions in relation to the child I have children myself and I would never dream of injuring my children accidentally. I have learned from the experience and I will use it to better assess situations in the future. This experience has been extremely difficult for me and my family. It has left a great strain on my home life and severely impacted my mental health. It will stay with me for the rest of my
2: life. Hardship Fund U-turn. Funding for vulnerable islanders has been reinstated a month after it was taken away. The £50,000 Exceptional Hardship Fund was scrapped by the Isle of Wight Council in January to increase the discount on council tax bills for islanders on low incomes. On Wednesday, Councillor Joe Lever proposed the reinstatement of the fund – because he feared the previous decision was made in haste and caused undue stress to a number of households. Councillors at the budget meeting at County Hall unanimously supported the decision to reinstate the fund. The Councillor's Chief Financial Officer, Chris Ward, said the money has already been included in all the budgets being discussed. The increased Council Tax Support allows a 75% discount on Council Tax bills for those most in need. It is for those eligible for the Council Tax Support Scheme and who are facing additional genuine hardship. In the last financial year, 2022-23, to there were 282 successful applications, amounting to £54,747.
1: A trespasser cost train operator over £900. Disruption caused to Isle of Wight train services by a trespasser cost island line nearly £1,000 a has herd. The railway line between Ryde Esplanade and St John's Station had to be turned off and trains cancelled following the incident on February the 1st. Appearing before Isle of Wight Magistrates on February the 16th, Jade Sandals of Ride Esplanade admitted trespass and intentionally causing a public nuisance. Emergency services responded to a concern for welfare report at the Esplanade at around 3.45pm on the day in question. Police were told by a member of train staff that Sandals had been on and off the tracks. The court heard how she ran off multiple times and when officers eventually caught up with her, she was arrested. A train employee told police four trains had to be cancelled and a bus replacement service had to be put on in its place. They estimated that the total cost of disruption was £940 defending Rachel wingley said sandals suffers a number of mental health issues before passing sentence magistrates asked for a pre-sentence report to be carried out the case was adjourned to April the 5th sandals was granted
2: conditional bail prison term for neighbor a woman who subjected her neighbors to a torrent of horrendous and relentless abuse and ignored magistrates' warnings to stop, has been jailed. Banda Reely of of Lower Furlong's braiding appeared at the Isle of Wight Crown Court on Friday, February 23rd. The 54-year-old previously (coughs) admitted to a series of long-running stalking incidents between May 25th and September 14th, 2023 her horror behaviour and uh, saw her handed an 18-month community order in September last year with magistrates telling her these incidents must stop. But court heard how she failed to heed their advice and continued with the catalogue of abuse. Prosecuting, Tim Devlin said really labelled one resident a paedophile on Facebook which prompted him to stop cutting his neighbour's lawns and left him feeling alarmed and distressed. In a victim impact statement read to the court, another neighbour said the constant abuse had made them lose sleep and resulted in them having to take antidepressants. My anxiety is through the roof, the statement read. Jim Osborne defending said really accepts her behaviour was wrong and empathises with her neighbours and the fact she has caused them distress. He said she is aware the needs mental health support and is willing to engage in treatment. Handing down her sentence, Judge Advocate General Robert Hill said, You are guilty of a catalogue of horror behaviour towards the local people in your community. You more than had a chance to put an end to this behaviour, but you carried on. A custodial sentence is inevitable. Reilly was sentenced to 18 months in prison. Reacting to the sentencing, PC Caroline Woodgate said, Reilly's behaviour has been nothing short of horrendous, and the relentless abuse that local residents have suffered has been appalling. No one in the community should be subjected to any kind of abuse, let alone to the levels that really lowered herself to make the lives of good people a misery. I am pleased this has resulted in really being sent to jail and hope this provides some reassurance to local residents. Bursaries
1: for Young Musicians Twelve young Ireland musicians have been awarded grants to further their musical studies by West White Arts Association. The recipients ranged from 11 to 18 and played a wide variety of instruments or sang to a panel of trustees on Saturday. They also answered questions about their music making and what they would spend an award on. Their their answers ranged from help with funding further music lessons to better instruments or equipment. The panel were treated to performances on piano, saxophone, drums, clarinet, oboe, violin, flute and voice from students from six different island schools. The judges were deeply impressed by the standards achieved and the aspirations expressed by the musicians. Organiser Pam Wedgwood said, We had a wonderful response to our appeal. It was very difficult to decide who our major award winners should be as a standard, was so high. But we were able to give everyone something.
2: Island crematorium revamp. The results of an upgrade and refurbishment at the island's crematorium near Whippingham are shown in new photos from the Isle of Wight Council. Janice Lord, who leads bereavement services, said the changes had created a peaceful and respectful place for people to pay tribute to their loved ones. The aim was to make the space more versatile and to bring some comfort and solace to those who were grieving, she said. Wooden pews have been replaced with chairs, which means more people can attend memorials, from 85 up to 105 also replaced with the lecterns and an altar, and new carpets were laid. There have also been upgrades for the area where coffins are laid. Councillor Karen Luciani said, We understand how hard it is to lose a loved one, and we want to make sure we offer the best possible care and support to the bereaved. That is why we have invested in the crematorium ...to ensure that we have a quality facility that meets the needs and expectations of our community. The waiting room has also received a fresh coat of paint and new, more comfortable chairs have been added.
1: A new name and a new home for Colossus after 24 years. After around 24 years, Robin Hill's much-loved Colossus ride has been given a new name and concept as it prepares to move to another Isle of Wight attraction, Blackgang Chine. In a nod to its now former home, the swinging boat will be called the Jolly Robin. The ride will be based on the former Pirate Fort playground at Blackgang, which has been demolished. Those wanting to ride the boat will have to enter through a whale's mouth, thought to be Jonah's whale, which is set to move from its current location in the park. Blackgang Chine said... As the jolly robin begins to sway, riders will feel as though they are caught in the very storm that sealed the ship's fate, with each crest and trough of the ride mimicking the tumultuous waves that once overtook the vessel. When it arrived here from Italy in March 2000, Colossus was described as the biggest and best ride on the Isle of Wight. Earlier this week, the theme park teased a second new attraction, something the little ones will love. It said it would be one that we are sure will have you jumping for joy and screaming for more. This led speculation that it could be Robin Hill's Ripple Pillow or the Cow Train.
2: Firm future up in the air. Six months after Isle of Wight aircraft manufacturer Britain Norman launched a plan to quadruple its output with workers based at its hangars in Bembridge, the historic firm's future hangs in the balance. The maker of the aircraft, affectionately known as the Land Rover of the Skies, is considering bringing in administrators, according to reports. The company said this week, It is exploring options to secure the necessary additional investment and hopes to have a further announcement soon. In September, it announced an interest from firms in Malta, India and Australia in island-built planes and was preparing to deliver its first aircraft made at its reinvigorated island base to the Falkland Islands. White MP Bob Seeley cut the ribbon alongside the group's chief executive William Hynett, who said the aim was to build British and export to the world. The firm's iconic Islander has been flying since 1965, and although it has undergone 2,000 modifications since then, the basic design is true to the original and he's fondly referred to as the Land Rover of the Skies. In September, William Hynett revealed islanders are exported to far-flung locations, including remote Pacific islands, Canada and South Africa. They have previously been manufactured in Romania, resulting in logistical challenges. It was hoped boosting production on the island would streamline the operation. A spokesperson for Britain Norman said, In support of the company's future plans, especially with regard to the repatriation of aircraft manufacturing to the UK, as announced last (coughs) September, the Board has appointed advisers to assist in exploring options to secure the necessary additional investment. While the Board continues to engage in constructive discussions With the company's key stakeholders, it has taken a decision to file core documents that will protect the position of the business. This will allow the Board to focus on achieving the correct structure for any proposed new investment. Subject to a satisfactory (coughs) conclusion of the process, the Board is looking forward to following up with a further announcement in the coming week. Water customers hit by data breach Southern
1: Water has apologised to scores of customers after a data breach saw details, including national insurance numbers, dates of birth, sort codes and bank account numbers stolen. Letters and emails have been arriving in the last couple of days, explaining what happened and what to do now. On January 22nd, an organisation on the dark web, (coughs) which is an area of the internet used by criminals, (coughs)
5: <coughs> oh, Terry, I'm
1: sorry. don't no, worry about it. <coughs> oh, Susan's gone by now, aren't she?
5: Yeah.
1: I'll start again.
7: Yeah, okay.
1: Right. On, then. Water customers hit by data breach. Southern Water has apologised to scores of customers after a data breach saw details including national insurance numbers, dates of birth, sort codes and bank account numbers stolen. Letters and emails have been arriving in the last couple of days explaining what happened and what to do now. On January 22nd, an organisation on the dark web, which is an area of the internet used by criminals, claimed to have obtained data from the utility provider. The company raised the alarm on February 13th and apologised. In recent correspondence, it says it had previously detected suspicious activity. An investigation has now been launched in conjunction with the National Cyber Security Centre along with other precautionary measures. Water supplies were not affected, said the provider. Southern Water told the county press it did not know how many customers on the island had been impacted. It said its focus was on con that 5 to 10% of the customers affected. It has assured customers that a link to the Experian Identity Plus offered in the most recent letters and emails in a bid to help islanders monitor potential suspicious activity is safe to use. It gives 12 months Experian cover for free as long as membership is activated within two months of getting the correspondence. Southern Water said it was continuing to monitor the situation and invited customers with questions to contact it on o 303 25 Earlier this month, Southern Water said, Based on our forensic investigations, which are ongoing, we are also notifying all of our current employees and some former employees. We take data protection and information security very seriously and in accordance with our regulatory obligations. We are making contact with anyone whose personal data may be at risk. The Information Commissioner's Office, ICO, also confirmed it had received a report about the incident and was investigating.
2: Five days of railway disruption island line is to close for maintenance work for five days the line will shot from Wright pierhead to shanklin with rail replacement shuttle bosses operating instead of trains throughout the work which takes place between march the 8th and march the 12th engineers will carry out vital maintenance and improvements and the closure will allow engineers to carry out essential work on flood defences which are being improved following recent severe weather. Track upgrades, vegetation management work and structural surveys will also take place to ensure as much work as possible is carried out while the trains are not running. We are told to allow extra time for journeys. Find details of the rail replacement bus timetables on Operator South Western Railway's SWR website. Island Line General Manager Mark Dunn said, We are sorry for the disruption this closure will cause. However, we must complete this programme of work to keep trains running reliably. It makes sense to add other work we would otherwise look to carry out at weekends. Man bit mum in
1: card row A man bit his own mother's head during a row and left her in fear of further violence at his hands an island court was told Joshua Green, 34, of Windmill Close Cows admitted assaulting his mother by beating and causing criminal damage to furnishings at her home in East Cows on January 14th Green, changed his pleas on January 19th after initially denying the offences. Green was given a roof over his head by his mother after he lost his accommodation at Howard House in Newport, run by the Salvation Army. He got into an argument with her, demanding she hand him her bank card, said Lauren Stone, prosecuting at the Isle of Wight Magistrates' Court. The row descended into violence, with Green trying to bite her head, an attempt which left no marks. Green, with a history of violence against his mother, and has since living with her, put her in fear of him, the court heard. While trying to phone the police for help, Green tried to snatch her phone. While waiting for the police, Green smashed a bottle of vodka and had earlier broken the banister on the stairs. In her victim statement mrs green described as vulnerable said her son's actions had left her feeling exhausted and sick with stress the victim said in her statement josh opened his mouth and tried to bite my head i didn't have any marks but it did hurt she added green had left her fearing for her safety in her own home green with a record of 18 convictions for 32 offences several of them for violence and carrying weapons, had hurt his mother only temporarily with the attempted bite, said Oscar Vincent for the defense. Mr. Vincent said his client had a toxic relationship with his mother spanning several years, with alcohol the trigger for most of his offending behavior. Green was made subject to a probation order last year. Magistrates made him subject to a new order for 12 months to include rehabilitation sessions. £85 costs and £114
2: surcharge. Quarry turns sights on motorcycle track. A quarry is looking to expand its sand extraction operations by creating a new one at a space sometimes used by motorcyclists. Hazlitt Farm has been extracting sand from the Shorewell countryside for decades but could run out of material in the next 18 months. A new two-hectare quarry could be opened at Shorewill sandpit further down Presford chute and produce approximately 6,000 tonnes of mineral resources a year over the next 20 years. Plans said it could retain the supply of materials which is required on the island Without it, the sand would have to be imported from the mainland, likely reducing the number of local jobs. The site is in an area of outstanding natural beauty, but also in the minerals safeguarding area as designated by the Isle of Wight Council. Once all the quarrying works cease at the site, it could be restored and allowed to recolonize naturally, returning to natural grassland. The proposed new site of the quarry has been privately used as an informal motorbike track occasionally since 2017. The quarry could be in operation from Monday to Friday, 7 in the morning to 6 at night, and Saturdays, 7 in the morning to 1 in the afternoon. While it may be a new quarry within the farm site, there would be no intensification of operations, plans have said, as the materials would be screened using equipment at the existing quarry and transported along existing roads. The operations at the new quarry could start once the sand is exhausted at the existing one. A shoplifter stole food to survive.
1: A man caught stealing items such as Lindor chocolates and Monster Energy drinks claimed he was hungry, and did it to survive when he appeared before magistrates. Billy Chilcott admitted shoplifting at Sainsbury's Ride on December the 11th last year. The 29-year-old of Green Street Ride also stole a BLT sandwich and a big bag of Doritos, with the goods taken totalling £20.50. Chilcott went into the store with a carrier bag at 8 o'clock, selected the items and left which was caught on CCTV, says Liz Miller, prosecuting at the Isle of Wight Magistrates Court. Chilcott, fined £60 for shoplifting by magistrates on January the 9th, lives in Salvation Army accommodation due to his financial means, said Oscar Vincent, his solicitor. He had no money, he was hungry and stole to survive, Mr Vincent explained. Magistrates handed Chilcott a six-month conditional discharge with an order to repay Sainsbury's £20.50 compensation.
2: Roads disruption will be worth it. East Cowes residents are bracing themselves for more road closures and parking suspensions. Castle Street, between Link Road and Well Road, is to be upgraded from March the 4th. It is the direct route off the floating bridge and to access shops on the York Avenue. Due to the nature of the excavation work, Island Road said a round-the-clock road closure will be required, which is expected to last five days. Vehicles will be unable to access York Avenue. The one-way system will be reversed and Clarence Avenue will become one-way southbound between York Avenue and School Hill Road. There will be parking restrictions along parts of Clarence Road and Yarbury Road to allow the movement of HGVs. The work has been scheduled to coincide with the suspension of the floating bridge for its annual refit, Island Roads spokesman said, We recognise these works may cause some inconvenience for residents and businesses, but we hope any disruption will be offset by the long-term improvements. We have scheduled the work before the main holiday season begins to minimise disruption. We have also spoken to businesses in the area, including GKN and Red Funnel.
1: Thousands taken in Co-op <coughs> break-in. Thousands of pounds were stolen in a late-night burglary at Sandown Town Centre Co-op last Thursday. Hampshire and Isle of Wight constabulary said it was called to Sandown High Street shop after an intruder alarm was activated. Police were alerted around 10:15 p.m. On arrival, officers noticed entry had been forced to the premises and 5,000 pounds in cash was stolen. An hour later, a 33-year-old man and a 37-year-old man, both from Southampton, were arrested in Castle Street, East Cowes. They were arrested on suspicion of burglary other than dwelling and conspired to commit a burglary other than dwelling with intent to steal and were taken into custody. Billy Craig Connis, 33, of Bernard Street, Southampton, was charged with burglary and possession of an offensive weapon in a private place and remanded in custody to appear before Southampton magistrates. Thomas Paul Edward Weller, 37, of Mousel Lane, Southampton, has been charged with burglary and using a motor vehicle without third-party insurance and released on conditional bail to appear before Isle of Wight magistrates on March 26th.
2: Widow Turned Drug Dealer A widow resorted to drug dealing on the Isle of Wight after her husband was killed and she went to pieces, a court has heard. Rachel Varley of Kensington Avenue in Oldham, Greater Manchester, was spared jail at the Isle of Wight Crown Court on Friday, February the 23rd. A judge decided to take a lenient view after agreeing the circumstances of her case were exceptional. Varley, 45, had previously pleaded guilty to possessing Class A drugs with intent to supply and being in possession of a controlled drug. She originally denied the offences, claiming the drugs were for her own use. Court heard how police raided an address on Orisford Road, Shanklin, on two occasions. The first, on September 6th, 2021, saw officers discover a large quantity of drugs in a safe, including cocaine valued at around £8,000, as well as crack cocaine and amphetamines. There was also £1,000 cash on site, Tim Devlin prosecuting said. Appearing on Friday, Varley also admitted two further counts of possession of a Class A drug and possession of a Class B drug, relating to a second search on March 7th, 2022. Audrey Archer, defending, argued that the circumstances were exceptional That up to the death of her husband Varley was of good character. Varley's husband, David Macmillan, was killed by a single punch in January 2017. A man was jailed for manslaughter. Ms Archer said following his death Varley found herself on the island. Being unknown to the local community, others must have taken advantage of her vulnerability, she said. To set up a drug supply without influence or pressure from others would be unusual. Judge Advocate General Robert Hill said Varley's offending was a modest street-dealing type of operation and he was satisfied that she had not lost her husband Had she not lost her husband, it would not have happened. He said, You lost your husband in full compelling circumstances in 2017. You disintegrated after that and completely went to pieces. He agreed it was an exceptional case and he said it was in the public interest to take a lenient view. Varley was handed a suspended two-year prison term 200 hours of unpaid work and must pay a victim surcharge. A huge fine for a boat crash.
1: A boat owner whose poor seamanship saw him crash into rocks near a popular viewpoint, seriously injuring three of his friends, in the process has been sentenced. At a previous hearing, Ian Sullivan of Swindon admitted failure to keep a proper lookout and a failure to proceed at a safe speed under the Merchant Shipping, Distress Signals and Prevention of Collisions Regulations 1996. The charges relate to the grounding of the 55-year-old's vessel, Sully, in Totland Bay, in September 2022. Three passengers sustained serious injuries when the vessel collided with rocks at the shoreline, with one of the crew suffering life-changing injuries. Several witnesses reported that the brightly lit motor cruiser crossed Totland Bay at speed on the night of september twenty fourth and would have been unlikely to maintain a proper lookout. The vessel continued without deviating or slowing down before grounding on the shore at high speed. The incident sparked an extensive search and rescue response involving HM Coast Guard, the RNLI and the police. The grounding caused serious damage to the vessel, which has proved impossible to salvage, and remains marooned high and dry on the shore. During the sentencing, Judge Newton Price said Sullivan operated his boat in an unsafe manner and as a result caused his passengers significant injuries. Consumption of alcohol affected Sullivan's judgment, he added. Appearing at Portsmouth Crown Court for sentencing last Friday, Sullivan was fined £20,000 and handed an 18-week prison term, suspended for 12 months, to include 100 hours of unpaid work. Mark Cam, Senior Investigator with the MCA's Regulatory Compliance Investigations Team, RCIT, said... This result demonstrates that the MCA will always take appropriate and necessary action when a complete lack of compliance and disregard for the laws of the sea are shown. It compromises not only safety, but ultimately the lives of many. Mr Sullivan's vessel was wrecked and three of his friends seriously injured. We want to send a clear message that such offences are not acceptable and those unwilling to follow rules and regulation and improve standards of safety will face the full weight of the law. Sullivan crashed the boat at high speed under the influence of alcohol, leaving one passenger with life-changing injuries.
2: A history of number 51 Pyle Street, formerly occupied by Messrs. Upwood, then Ray & Sons, The ancient craft of candle making had been going on in Newport for over 150 years before the local residents raised the stink about it 120 years ago. Four of the town's foremost businessmen were prosecuted between 1889 and 1893 for not controlling the offensive smell given off by the manufacturing process they used to produce candles. In 1889, Isaac Golden and Benjamin Vibert, who had the extensive property next door to the Bugle Inn that became better known in years to come as Week's Restaurant, were taken to court by one of the inn's residents who complained that the smell made him ill. In presenting their case, the defendants said that the families had been in business since 1735. After hearing all the evidence, the court imposed the minimum fine of £2 plus 10 shillings cost. Three years later, in 1892, in an identical case, Edward Upward and James Rich, two men whose surnames have gone down in local shopkeeping history, were taken to court... After ten residents complained of the smell coming from their shop at number fifty one Pyle Street, almost opposite what until recently was known as Guy's the corn merchant's premises. A supermarket has now absorbed number fifty one. At this point, the reader should understand what was involved in the manufacturing of these candles, so important to householders of the time. The makers were known as tallow chandlers, and the process involved the melting down of waste animal fat, this being brought to the shop via horse and cart by carriers from across the island. When one considers that the main complaint was of the obnoxious smell given off by this matter, part of the defence's evidence involved pointing out that these carriers also carried passengers, and if the smell was so abhorrent that they would not get any of the public to travel with them. This, it was stated, was not the case. The premises where the process took place were to the rear of Upward and Rich in Pyle Street. One witness gave evidence that he had seen
1: putrid fat delivered via the front door of the shop and he had noticed maggots dropping out of it. Other evidence was given that deliveries of the offending fats took place six days a week, and these were said to be stored in a loft. No doubt, because the carriers wanted their containers returned, they were emptied out and scattered about the floor, and the contents hung on the walls for 24 hours until it was chopped up and dropped through a canvas funnel into a copper below where it was then boiled up. One of those complaining was Newport's medical officer, who said he had lived next door for 40 years. The length of his residence was another fact, used by the defendants, however, to support their evidence that they did not create a nuisance, claiming that if this distinguished man could tolerate it for that length of time, there was little wrong with their process. The main witness for the defence was the shop's foreman, Mr George Quinton, He said he had been connected with the tallow melting business for 45 years, in the firm's employ for 35 years and their foreman for 28 years. Asked if he found the smell objectionable, Mr Quinton said he was used to it and in fact quite liked it. He said the air was treated with sulphuric acid and the acid killed the smell. A later witness complained that Mr Quinton was himself a source of an objectionable smell, a fact that could be proved by just sitting beside him. The court chairman leapt to Mr Quinton's defence, stating that a man could not help smelling when working at such a trade, but he was, for all that, an honourable man. We later discovered that two of Mr Quinton's sons... One became a master builder who was involved in the construction of Corr Abbey and later on three occasions was mayor of Newport, whilst the other was a notable local photographer. A daughter married a Mr Tyler, a local businessman and ironmonger, certainly not the type of son-in-law to be sniffed at. After a month's adjournment and hearing of new attempts to minimise the obnoxious smells like keeping the windows closed, the magistrates dismissed the case. Had they been found guilty, the maximum fine would have been £5.
2: Coin Confusion Back in the Day I unexpectedly came across a reference to a Honolulu penny recently. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Unless you're an octodiluvian, like myself, or a numismatrist, probably not. I'll explain it as a young lady explained it to me back in, I suppose, the 1950s. At that time there were still many coins in circulation depicting Queen Victoria. The young lady at the opposite side of the double desk was sorting coins for banking and said, Oh, this is a Honolulu penny. There aren't many of those about these days. Naively I said, What's a Honolulu penny? She didn't reply, but searched through the coins, producing two more pennies. She handed me one, tails, Britannia side upwards, "'See, the trident is resting on her knee.' To my eyes, it was standing behind her knee, but I knew what she meant. She handed me a second penny and said, "'Now see, the trident is resting on her thigh.' "'Yes, I see that.' Then she handed me the third penny, saying with a wicked grin, "'That's a Honolulu penny.' "'Oh, well, we were simpler people in those days.' US soldiers and airmen in the UK during the war and after found it very odd that the penny of those days was so large for such a small-value coin. We, of course, were used to it. They would empty coins from their pocket and invite the shopkeeper to take what was necessary. Foreigners were also amazed that we had four farthings to the penny, twelve pennies making a shilling, and 20 shillings making a pound. They thought we were mathematical geniuses and it was an impressive skill to be able to add a long list of pound, shilling and pence amounts before machines became widely available. Skill of a different sort went into the games we played at lunchtimes. Some versions of shove halfpenny were like billiards or snooker and those with steady hands competed in the number of 12-sided three-penny bits, which could be piled in a tower, or the number of half-pennies you could put together so that each touched all the others. The measure of land was just as odd, and still is if you use the old 12 inches, make a foot, 3 feet, a yard, tw- 220 yards, furlong, and 8 of those make a mile. And does five and a half feet still make one rod pole or perch? I believe rods are still used in allotments. Our language is enriched by words adopted from other languages. Chutzpah is one such word, often referred to as the quality shown by a mythical man who murdered his parents and pleaded for mercy on the grounds that he was an orphan. I was irresistibly reminded of this when I saw commercials for insurance policies in which you play the premiums while you live so that your dependents receive a lump sum on your death being offered by the post office of all bodies. A
1: West End singer tops the Fringe lineup. The first wave of acts for this year's Cow's Fringe has been announced. Returning for its second year, the festival takes place in May and offers visitors the opportunity to enjoy a diverse range of music and performances. Among the lineup are a broad range of island and mainland talent, including Broadway and West End star Kerry Ellis. The renowned vocalist, who had starring roles in We Will Rock You, Wicked, Les Miserables, Cats and Miss Saigon, has also performed at the Royal Albert Hall, Royal Variety Performance the Laurence Olivier Awards and the Queen's Jubilee Concert at Buckingham Palace. Ireland favourites Brando Party Band will also appear at Cow's Fringe. Known for their high-energy performances, the ensemble have a repertoire spanning various genres including pop, rock, funk and soul. Godfather of dance music, DJ Gordon Mack, will be sure to draw in the crowds. He created the Kiss FM brand, Britain's first dance music station. Virtuoso guitarist Jean-Jean Kavlacoglu, who is described as James Brown meets Rodrigo y Gabriela, will also perform, as will Sean Logan. The gifted singer-songwriter was a finalist in the hit Channel 4 show The Piano, which also featured the island's very own Jay Eatwell. Described as a masterful magician, Neil Kelso, an award winning pianist and member of the Magic Circle, will be hoping to leave the audience spellbound. Fringe director Sarah Blackwell said, We are thrilled to welcome back Cow's Fringe Festival and to present such a diverse lineup of incredibly talented artists. From electrifying bands to captivating solo performers, there is something for everyone at this year's festival and we can't wait to share the experience with our audience. Don't miss out on the excitement. Join us at Cow's Fringe Festival for a celebration of music, magic and community unlike any other. Cow's Fringe takes place from May 24th to May 26th.
2: The extraordinary history of the truly rotten boroughs of Yarmouth and Newtown is a presentation taking place on Tuesday, the 5th of March at 11 o'clock in the morning. The charge is £5. Pounds. The description is a spectacular political corruption illustrated and explained by Kevin Shaw, Carisbrook Castle Museum, Castle Hill. Telephone number 01983-523-112.
1: And here are some forthcoming shows from Medina Theatre, Fairley Road, Newport. Uh, Bingo That's Bonkers will take place on Friday the 8th of March at half past seven. The Shape of You, the music of Ed Sheeran, will be Saturday 9th of March at half past seven. Mercury, which is the music of Queen, um, Friday the 15th of March at half past seven. Then a medium, T.J. Higgs, will be at Medina on Friday the 5th of April at half past seven. The George Harrison project takes place on Saturday the 6th of April at half past seven. And on Saturday the 13th of April, the Isle of Wight Cantata Choir, their spring concert, is taking place. Forever Jackson, the music of Michael Jackson, will take place on Saturday, the twentieth of April, half past seven. And Country Superstars, Dolly Parton and friends, will take place on Friday, the twenty-sixth of April, half past seven. And an evening of burlesque takes place on Saturday, the twenty-seventh of April, at half past seven. All of these can be booked by phoning um, Medina Theatre
2: 823-884. Project Opera Choir Comeback Concert Project Opera Choir is staging its comeback with a debut performance of Lighten the Darkness at Aspire Ride in on Saturday, March the 16th, at 7 o'clock in the evening. Composed by music director Stephen Parker and written by Anthony Swaby, the Cantata for Lent is a piece of Christian music featuring SATB soloists, choir, piano and viola. During rehearsals, the choir showcased what organisers describe as a spiritually intense blend of voices creating the most angelic harmonies. The performance, which organisers say promises to be an unforgettable experience, is aimed at supporting the Isle community with 50% of the proceeds going to Aspire. And now we have um, some letters and
1: the first one is um, titled A Better Deal and it comes from the Isle of Wight MP Bob Seeley. I am sad to see Hans Bromage's letters becoming increasingly personal. He mentions my survey sent to thousands of island homes. In the survey I outline my plans for the island and how I have worked hard to get a better deal for the island. Hundreds of survey responses are already being sent to me, and I am grateful for islanders who are replying. The survey is also available online at https://conservatives.com/isle of survey. As to the timing, I wanted to send it out a year ago, but the island's Conservative Association very sensibly asked me to hold off until I had been chosen to contest the Isle of Wight West constituency and Joe Robertson in the Isle of Wight East seat. As islanders may know, there are now two parliamentary constituencies on the island, not one. As regards my pension, I'm afraid I've never looked into it. I spend my days working to get a better deal for the island.
2: Parents should take a stand. From Sarah Brooks in Shanklin. OK, I'm back. 20 years after making myself totally unpopular by calling out the schools who were providing my children with an unacceptably poor standard of education, had long since heaving a sigh of relief when they left school and found jobs... I am back in the thick of it. Any hopes that the change to a two-tier system in those bright, new, expensive buildings would bring progress and improvement amounted to nothing. I stepped back with my grandchildren, gritting my teeth on many occasions when it was clear that precious time and money were being totally wasted. Now I am back, home-educating another generation and as Mr. Seely appears to be in the news about this topic, I feel I can raise some issues which I can summarise. Parents.
8: spare. How many weeks does it take to mend a set of traffic lights? Well, at least four, depending when the men from the mainland can either find the time or the spare part to repair the lights at the down-end crossroads. It beggars belief that we have to rely on somebody across the Solent to fix the lights at such a busy junction. Let's hope when he has the necessary part, he brings a spare for the next time another careless driver hits them. Because, rest assured, there are more than enough idiots on our roads capable of doing so. This was a letter from Barbara Spencer of Wright. Now,
9: if that was. And it's goodbye from Susan.
8: And goodbye from Gerard. The BBC In Touch programme follows, and the scaffolding news follows that. Front cover.
7: Newsletter Winter 2024, your local sight loss charity. Spotlight on Viv. Meet volunteer Alison. Short story writing competition award ceremony member question mobility living well with sight loss project fusion front cover shows a photograph of the hawks, Richard Cadell, Debbie McGee and RC Bridgestock from the Short Story Writing Competition and the Entertainers from the Award ceremony, Ben Stubbs, Harry Lee, Huxley Magician, and Solent Singers.
10: Hello everyone and belated good wishes for 2024. As usual, we hope to fill your diary with informative and enjoyable occasions and activities for this year. We've made a good start. There is so much to read in this newsletter. I'm sure you'll find something of interest. Looking back a little, the Story Writing Competition Awards evening just before Christmas was so entertaining, and you will be able to read all the details in the following article. The standard gets higher every year. I'm sure you'll find the comparison between the two agencies that supply guide dogs full of interesting detail. I don't think many of us knew that there was a choice. It's good to know so that informed decisions can be made. All our activities are starting again. You will find all their details listed in the newsletter. We have so much variety now and to new suggestions of group interests you might like us to provide. Please talk it over with any of the staff or trustees. Now, please may I put in a special plea for volunteers. We have such a loyal group who do such wonderful work whether it's befriending in our dress agency, activities or our incredible knitters. Do check out the patterns for our Easter fundraiser. The patterns for the animal Easter egg covers are just so cute. If you know of anyone who has a few hours to spare We will be delighted to hear from them. Once again, my grateful thanks to you all for making the charity such a vibrant community. The staff reports offer so much. I always find them so inspiring. Hearing about their particular area of expertise, and there's always so much to learn. My grateful thanks to you all. You're always welcoming, patient and helpful. Such a great team. Finally, my thanks to the trustees. There are many different skills we use from each and every one of them. And I'm so grateful to them for such a generous donation of their time. This is Lisa reading the CEO update. Happy New Year.
0: Am I allowed to still say that? With 2024 comes our member survey. In 2020, we phoned every single member and asked them a few simple questions based around the services we offered at the time, what additional services people wanted and how we could help them as an individual in their daily lives. We took everything on board and there have been major changes in the last four years. For example, we were interacting with 251 people per week in December 2019, compared to 452 in December 2023. But things cannot and will not stand still. It is time to call everyone again and make sure we are still on track with what people both want. So we are now devising a short survey and will be calling everybody later in the spring. With over 730 members compared to 504 in 2020, this is a project we need to plan to ensure we have consistent, useful results. We will be recruiting volunteers to help make the cause, so if you think you can help, please do get in touch. Also looking forward, we have set a plan for the year with lots of the key dates organised already. These include White Sense client and Site for White member feedback and chat meetings, scheduled quarterly from March onwards and the quarterly Living Well with Sight Loss group, which starts in February. On the 29th of July, we will be holding an open day at Millbrook House to celebrate both our members and volunteers. And our external community low vision and low hearing day will be on the 24th of September. We hope to see you there. Lisa. Members activities. Weekly. By appointment,
9: we have Sam on hand to give one to one help with accessibility features on your computer, laptop, tablet or phone. It is essential you pre-book, so please call ahead. Please note, we will help as much as we can, but if you are looking for lessons on how to use a computer, then please contact us for Age UK course
7: dates. Monday. Swimming at Medina Leisure Centre, Newport, term time only, between 1.15pm and 2.15pm. The cost is £6 and £2.50 local transport, Newport area, but £3.50 for wider transport, i.e. the ride area. Tuesday,
9: yoga at Millbrook House between 1.45pm and 2.45pm. Come along and try gentle yoga, just £4, which includes refreshments.
7: Wednesday, coffee and chat at Millbrook House, between 10am and 11.30am for coffee and cake. The cost is £2 and the group is open to everyone. We have regular visitors to this group, for example the ECLO, the Macular Society and many others. So please call Susan for more information.
9: Thursday, Mix and Mingle at Millbrook House, between 10.30am and 2pm. Planned activities include crafts, quizzes, and entertainment. The cost is £4 plus £3.50 for transport if required. Pre-booking is essential.
7: The next site for White members' feedback and chat is Wednesday, the 27th of March, at 11:30 a.m.
9: Fortnightly tennis is held at Ride Mead Tennis Club. On a Monday between 9.30am and 10.30am, the club is behind Yalph's in Church Lane Ride. Volunteers of the club are on hand to assist. This is weather dependent through the winter.
7: Monthly groups. First Tuesday of the month. Godshill Coffee Morning, 10.30am to 12pm, held at the Old Smithy Coffee Shop, Godshill. Volunteers Yvonne and Linda will be on hand to chat every month. The first
9: Thursday of the month, audio book group held at the Lord Louis Library Newport between 2pm and 3pm. This group is free to attend. You will receive a USB stick or CD from the RNIB and then the group will discuss the book at the following meeting.
7: Second Tuesday of the month. Our Place Community Cafe at West White Sports Centre, Mower Place, Freshwater, 10.30 a.m. A member of staff will always be there. Ion
9: Social will be held once a month. Our first meeting of 2024 is on Wednesday, the 28th of February at Millbrook House, where we are welcoming Rachel from Natural Enterprise talking about gift to nature work on the Isle of Wight. The group is open to everyone, members, volunteers and friends, so please come along and support us. The cost is £3, which includes refreshments.
7: Fourth Thursday of the month. Our place in Ventnor at St Catherine's Church, Ventnor, between 10.30am and 1.30pm. A staff will be on hand.
9: Last Friday of the month, Strider's is for members who enjoy walking. The walk is normally between 4 and 6 miles, depending on the route and location. The cost is found plus £3.50 for transport.
7: Last Sunday of the month, Golf at Westridge Golf Centre Ride. Members enjoy 45 minutes on the driving range with an instructor available to help the complete novice to those playing regularly. It is usually the last Sunday of the month, but always call the office to confirm. get booked up, so please do not hesitate to call us to book your place. Where possible, we provide transport subject to numbers and vehicle availability. If you have any suggestions for an activity, please do come forward and let us know so we can endeavour to accommodate when we can or if you wish to volunteer to help others, again, do not hesitate to contact us on treble two o
10: five.
9: Thank you to everyone who completed the questionnaire from the last newsletter relating to members' activities. We now have a base to work on and hopefully arrange suitable activities and outings to meet members' requests. The replies we received were very mixed, but it is very clear that transport is a vital part of anything we arrange and we can only provide transport if we have volunteers available to assist. Announcements will be made via our website, Talking News, newsletter of any one-off activities or events. Thank you, Susan.
11: 100 Club Winners this time are Chris, Lorna and PJ. Congratulations. A very warm welcome to Jaime and Steve. If you'd like to join the site of the White 100 Club, it is just £2 a month and you're helping to support us as well.
9: Volunteers update. Welcome and Happy New Year to you all and a very special welcome to all our new volunteers to this newsletter. I'm very fortunate to have so many fantastic volunteers to help and assist with all the activities events and services we provide throughout the year. Since the last newsletter, our volunteers have been busy covering bucket collections, short break to warners, helping with our various groups, knitting for our Christmas fundraiser, reading the news, serving in our dress for less shop, driving. The list is endless. Our calendar is now booked with dates for the f- and the first date for our volunteer catch-up It's Tuesday, March the 19th at 10am here at Millbrook House. Please come along and meet fellow volunteers. Staff will be on hand to serve homemade cake and coffee. We attended the Isle of Wight Volunteers Fair in January at the Riverside Centre. It was a success with plenty of interest and networking. I thank the four volunteers who came along and supported me. We had an enjoyable day. As always, if anyone knows someone who has a few hours spare, please tell them about our wonderful charity and perhaps they would like to volunteer for us, helping out once a week or just once a month. Please ask them to call me for an informal chat on 522205. Thank you, as always, Susan.
12: The Bryston Tree Festival returned this year following a break of several years and wow, it did not disappoint. Sight for White displayed their tree in the Wilberforce Hall, which looked beautiful in the blue and gold colours of the charity. Susan made a tree skirt to go around the bottom, and the decorations on the tree depicted various activities and groups the charity hold each month.
13: Be My Eyes, read by Elaine. Be My Eyes is a free app That was launched a few years ago to support people living with a visual impairment. It uses the back facing camera on your phone to link you with a registered volunteer who can assist you in completing quick visual tasks. For example, reading an expiry date on your milk, pairing your socks, checking the cooking instructions on the back of a packet or spotting that pound coin you have dropped. By getting you to move your phone left and right, the volunteer can use the camera to support you. The calls are completely anonymous and free and you can literally just ask a question, get a reply, then hang up. There is no need for social pleasantries or any form of conversation. Last year, a new feature was added to allow you to add your own friends and family to your own list of contacts if you prefer. Now, however, a further development has been added. Be My Eyes has added an AI, Artificial Intelligence. You can now hold up your phone, take a picture and the app will give you a very accurate description of your surroundings, including any people, what they are wearing and what they are doing. It really is very clever. If you would like further information or to see the app in action, please give us a call and Sam, our technical support officer, will assist you. Ruth said. Call out to members read by Paula. Are you living with Stickler syndrome? We have been asked by a family who is living with this if any of our members are also living with it with a view to making contact. Stickler syndrome is a group of hereditary conditions characterized by distinctive facial appearance, eye abnormalities, hearing loss, and joint problems. These signs and symptoms vary widely among affected individuals. If you would like to make contact, please contact lisa at the office on zero one nine eight three. Five two 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 zero five.
0: This is Lisa reading Newport and Health Wellbeing Centre. We have been invited to visit the Newport Health and Wellbeing Centre, which is due to open soon, to give our members the chance to comment on any helpful suggestions to ease things for people to use the centre with both sight and hearing impairments. I'm really pleased that the NHS have engaged with us and would really welcome a variety of people to attend to cover a wide range of ideas of how things can be made more accessible. If you can attend on the 12th of March, please call Lisa on 5 Thank you, Lisa. Banish
13: the winter blues. Don't let winter get you down. Here are some top tips you can do to beat the winter blues. Keep active. Whilst you'll probably feel like curling up on the couch in winter, it's good to keep as active as you can to combat the winter blues. Regular exercise will keep you positive and feeling like you're achieving something good for yourself. Exercising also releases your happy hormone, serotonin. So not only is it good for your health, it makes you feel good too. Keep in touch. Making sure you keep in touch with your friends and family over the winter period helps you stay more connected to the world and feel less isolated. If you would like to be paired up with a befriender, then please do not hesitate to contact me. Eat healthily. It's easy to turn to comfort food when you're not feeling at your best. But make sure that you're not just mindlessly eating your way through that share bag of crisps. Try and be more conscious about your eating habits in the winter months. Making sure you're getting your five a day is a good place to start so you can try to get the right nutrients to keep your energy and immune system boosted. Stick on something upbeat. Turn over the slow ballads. Research has shown that listening and dancing to some cheerful, upbeat music can improve your mood even after the song ends. The same can also be said for films and TV shows. Putting your favourite feel-good comedy or rom-com could help you laugh away those seasonal blues. Thank you,
14: Elaine. Deafblind Support Officer Red and White Canes You may already be very familiar with the white cane and that it represents the user has a visual impairment. It is less well known that a white cane with red stripes indicates that the user also has a hearing loss. It is important that someone who has a dual sensory loss can alert others to this. As with white canes, they come in varying sizes, ranging from a cymbal cane which is carried in your hand And as the name suggests is a symbol that the user has a sensory loss if however the user requires a walking stick to weight bear then a red and white walking stick is available this like the single cane alerts others that the user has a dual sensory loss these are the type of cane and stick That can be issued by the sensory service assessors if someone requires any other type of cane which are also available in red and white they would need to have specialist training and to use these with our rehabilitation officer for visual impairment if you already have a white cane or a walking stick, and also have a hearing loss, red strips can be added to your existing cane or walking stick. Please contact the sensory service and any of the White Sense team will be able to help you.
7: Any examples of that, things that people might be able to take but which aren't on the list at
15: the moment? We haven't recommended anything in particular. We think it's important that the UK government... My childhood was happy and optimistic and my sister and I spent most of our time in the oasis that was our local park. As we grew up, our community became home to people from Britain's former colonies. My best friend at junior school was a Hindu and another close friend was a Sikh. I loved languages, especially French which has kept me in a job most of my working life as a teacher. I had considered training to teach visually impaired pupils at Licky Grange School for the Blind near Birmingham, but by then I had met the man who would become my husband and he lived on the Isle of Wight. We met on a blind date, please excuse that expression, when I came to Shanklin to work as a waitress in my summer holiday from school. We married in 1980 and I began my first teaching job at Node Hill Middle School in Year 7. My class included pupils from a broad rural catchment. One day, a lad told me that there was a Jasper annoying him in the classroom, so I asked Jasper to come and speak to me. No one moved. I I didn't know that Jasper is an Isle of Wight word for a wasp. After 20 years in teaching, I tried something different, supporting those on the margins of life. And I worked in social responsibility for the Portsmouth Diocese of the Church of England, then the Adult Essential Skills Support Agency and as a lay worker in the Methodist Church. Ten years later, I returned to teaching French in primary schools. This has really helped when I volunteer with Sight for Whites education programme, which I really enjoy. Encouraging children to look after their eyes and eyesight and to understand sight loss and the help and support that is available for independent living is so important. We are often asked questions in the staff room, too, about concerns for sight loss problems in family members. I started volunteering in 2019 when I began reading the talking news. During Covid, I began recording articles on my mobile phone. The only drawback is noise interference from the doorbell, a nearby mower or even a spitfire flowing low overhead. If I have a difficult word, I take a run-up at it verbally. I'm part of the volunteer team knitting the little chicks containing cream eggs at Easter and Christmas hats containing a chocolate orange. Last year, I was invited to consider becoming a trustee of Sight for White, which is a real privilege. I'm on a steep learning curve, and trying to dip into as many of the activities and events as I can to get a full understanding of this wonderful local charity, supporting people with sight loss. Living Well with Sight Loss.
16: In 2022, we received funding to start up Living Well with Sight Loss, which is run by Ruth, one of our trustees. Due to its ongoing success, although the funding has now finished, we have been selected to continue to run it for the island. Whether you are born with sight loss, have a sudden change or living with a progressive condition, facing sight loss is undoubtedly a challenging time. The information and help you will receive from Ruth covers the following key areas. Session 1, Part 1. Starting out. The Certificate of Visual Impairment process. Should you register? How do you register? And what are the other main eye care services? What is an ECLO and how can they help? Part two, in the home. Your White Sense visit and what it involves. Looking at how to regain independence in daily living and what aids and technology are available. This includes the importance of lighting, labelling and how talking tech can help. Part three, out and about. Talking about independent mobility using transport and the concessions available. What is a rovi and how can they help? What canes are available and how Guide Dogs works? Part four, looking after ourselves. General help on eye health, your own well-being, local social and leisure activities and your next steps. Finally, volunteering opportunities and how this can help you. We'll be running courses on the following dates in 2024. They are all on Fridays, the 9th of February, 10th of May, 6th of September and finally the 22nd of November, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Millbrook House. Feedback and chat. Each quarter we run our feedback
9: and chat meeting. It is a completely open invitation to all our Site for White members and White Sense clients to come and talk directly to staff including myself and Lisa, about any ideas, queries or thoughts you have about our aspect of the service we offer. For example, in our last Site for White meeting, we discussed I's Ideas for the ION Social format for 2024 and how we can offer training to Southern Vectors drivers to help our members. At the last White Sense meeting, We discuss setting up island wide coffee meetups for people living with hearing loss, which will be launched later this month. Dates for twenty twenty four with all meeting on Wednesdays at eleven thirty AM after the coffee morning at Millbrook House. Site for White twenty seventh of march twenty sixth of june twenty fifth of September and the fourth of December. White Sense, 20th of March, 19th of June, 18th of September, 27th of November.
7: Short Story Writing Competition Award Ceremony 2023. What a fabulous evening we had for this year's Short Story Writing Competition Award Ceremony. The doors opened at 6.30pm. And, as people arrived, they were greeted by the melodic tones of the Solent Singers, who sang Christmas carols until the ceremony started at 7pm. Lisa Hollyhead, CEO, opened the evening and handed over to Chris Kane, competition organiser, who said a few words. Chris then handed over to our genial host and master of ceremonies, Maurice Kuchuk. The High Sheriff, Dawn Haig-Thomas, presented the Under-18s Awards. Under-8 winner, Olive Miller with her story, The Lost Teddy. Olive won a teddy bear and chocolates, kindly donated by Waitrose and White Business Services. Olive's story was recorded by Richard Cadell. 8-11's to winner, Penelope Harwood with her story, Year 3000. Penelope won an Amazon voucher, kindly donated by Tesco. She also had her story recorded by Carol Bridgestock. Penelope was unable to attend, but collected her prize and certificate and had her photo taken with Chris Kane. 12-17's <clears throat> winner. Dominic Finch with his story, Clearing Mist. Dominic won a voucher kindly donated by Comic Coffee. Dominic's story was also recorded by Bob Bridgestock. Before the Adana Minghella Award and 18-plus category were announced, one of our mystery judges wanted to award a Certificate of Merit for a story that didn't quite make the winning category, but warranted a mention. Emma Harris-Silk was the winner, but unable to attend the ceremony. Adana Minghella Award. The winner was Juliet Bell with her story, A Long Way Down. Juliet won a voucher kindly donated by Ventner Botanic Garden. She also had her story recorded by Chesney Hawks. Joya Minghella-Giddens presented the award. 18 plus winner. Marguerite Howick with her story Having the Will to Change. Marguerite won a Waterstones voucher kindly donated by White Computers and her story recorded by Debbie McGee. Marguerite was in New York, so unable to attend, but sent a representative, George, on her behalf. In addition to entertainment from the Solent Singers, we also had Huxley Magician, Harry Lee and Ben Stubbs perform to a full house. We raised over £700.
11: Education Update. Since the last Education Programme Update, we have been to Braiding Primary to their Key Stage 1 and Lower Key Stage 2. We've been to Gurnard Primary to their two year two classes and their two year six classes. Then finally, we went to Greenmount Primary to their two year four classes, two year five classes and two year six classes. So far, the next schools interested are Gatton and Lake Primary. This will be the third time we have visited their school. We will be learning with their year three and year six classes. Also, Nettleston and Broadley Primary would like us to return. Since the programme started, we have now delivered the sessions to over 1,500 children and been to 19 schools across the Isle of Wight. Thank you to all the schools who have helped us to spread the importance of keeping your eyes healthy. I have a lovely team of volunteers that come along with me to the schools. I appreciate all the time they give me and all the effort they put in to make sure the children learn as much as they can in their time they have to learn with us. Thank you to all of them for their support.
16: Jasmine member support firstly wishing you all a very happy new year for this newsletter i thought as some of our members may have received an amazon echo speaker for alexa over the festive period we could look at just some of the ways they can support those with a visual impairment so what or who is alexa alexa is a voice controlled virtual assistant she can play audio control your smart home answer questions and engage your favourite services to keep you organised, informed, safe, connected and entertained through an Amazon speaker. Just by using your voice, you can tell the time or set an alarm, listen to audio books or the radio, get reminders for taking medication, etc., add appointments to a calendar, make list of things to do or a shopping list, Call friends and family. Listen to Sight for White's talking news and newsletter. Ask questions on literally anything, including maths. There are thousands of what are called skills to choose from. If you would like an Alexa or help with an existing Alexa, please do contact me. Karen.
17: Hello, my name is Emma Downer. I am the new apprentice for being a Visual Rehabilitation Specialist, VRS. My course is two years long and officially starts in May. Currently, I am gaining experience working alongside the current Roe V Pete, who will be supporting me throughout my learning. I have been doing lots of shadowing and watching how he coaches people who are cane users. I am also learning to read and type Braille. If anyone would like to support me with this, I'd be very grateful. I am based at Sight for White and I am working alongside the White Sense team who are showing me the ropes of everything they do and learning about the organisation and what support and activities Sight for White offers. I have enjoyed taking part in the activities. These include mix and mingle, yoga session and a walk with the striders. Each activity has been enjoyable, and I have loved meeting so many new people with their own stories to tell. At home, I like to spend time with my family. I have a little girl who is nearly four years old. I enjoy going out for walks with my crazy springer spaniel. I like to do sports. I grew up playing ice hockey and roller hockey. I no longer play, but I still enjoy skating at the roller rink. I like going swimming, I enjoy any art and craft activities, such as clay and painting. My previous work experience includes working within care for all different ages and abilities. I have more experience working with special needs children and adults across the island. I have been Senko for a nursery for eight years, which I did enjoy doing and found rewarding. But since having my own child, I have felt I needed a changing career. So I decided to apply for this position and it's been the best decision I've made. I'd like to thank everyone for being so welcoming and friendly to me.
11: I think I'm going to like it here. Tips for members. I used to struggle to chop vegetables until I found this tip. I use a stainless steel afro comb. I use it to hold the vegetable in place, then use the knife to cut in between each spike. I then sometimes spin it around to help me dice vegetables. I hope this helps someone else. Maggie from Totland. When I am trying to add sugar to my tea, I sometimes miss the cup. So I've decided to use sugar cubes instead, as it makes less mess. Graham from Newport. I have found labelling to be a great help to me. I've got some labels from the stationery shop and used a marker pen to make my own bold and big letter labels. Leslie from Cowes. If you have any tips to include in our newsletter, please let us know.
12: Morrisons introduced measures aimed at helping vulnerable and elderly during crisis. Customers can order a delivery to their doorstep from a list of 47 essential items. Vulnerable customers offered assistance with extra staff that love to help. Morrisons announced a new dedicated telesales shopping service aimed specifically at helping to ensure vulnerable and elderly people can get the groceries they need. Customers who wish to place an order should phone 0345 611 6111 and select option 5. It is one of a number of measures that are being introduced in response to the coronavirus pandemic to ensure that no customer gets left behind. Morrison's has received many calls from customers who are self-isolating, elderly vulnerable and not able to visit a shop some have little food in their store cupboard and are worried about how they will stock up when demand for home deliveries has been high some have never used online ordering these customers will be able to place orders with Morrisons over the phone and the delivery will be made the following day by a store colleague from the local store often the stores community champion who is tasked with helping the community. They can choose from a takeaway menu of 47 essential groceries with options including milk, butter, eggs, potato, pasta, bananas, cornflakes and flour. Pay for delivery on their doorstep via a mobile chip and PIN device. Refuse an item on delivery should they wish to do so, but every effort will be made to match the customer's specific preferences. David Potts, Morrison's Chief Executive, said, We are playing our full part in feeding the nation and ensuring those that are most in need can receive a delivery from a familiar face at Morrison's. This new telephone service will ensure that more people who can't leave their home to go shopping will be able to get a delivery. Additionally, the Morrison's Community Champions will be identifying customers who need support and offering it on a postcard through their door. Customers will be able to ring them directly if they need their shopping delivered. Those vulnerable and elderly customers who do come to the store will also be offered a helping hand from colleagues wearing Love to Help t-shirts. To help support this new service, Morrisons has invested in a van for every one of its 494 stores so that colleagues can drop the shopping off on a customer's doorstep. Morrisons is already helping elderly and vulnerable people by expanding its home delivery service and making more slots available to customers both through Morrisons.com and Morrisons stores on Amazon Prime now. It is also rolling out food boxes and has partnered up with Deliveroo to allow customers to order from a range of essentials delivered to their door by a Deliveroo rider on the same day.
9: Spotlight on Viv, read by Susan and Chris. My name is Vivian Margaret Booth, but family and friends call me Viv. I was born in 1952 and blind from birth with only light perception, which has diminished over the years, although I can see shadow. My blindness was caused by being placed as a seven month premature baby in an incubator, where I was then given too much oxygen, which detached the retina. It is also the cause of the wonderfully talented Stevie Wonder's blindness as well. I'm the oldest of three children and have two younger brothers, both married, so have multiple nieces, nephews, great nieces and nephews. I was born in God's own country, as I call it, South Wales, at Morriston, a suburb of Swansea. I attended a mixed school for the blind and partially sighted at Bridge End, now the home of the South Wales Police Headquarters. There were no schools with special needs units as there are today, but in some ways we were at an advantage because the classes were smaller, approximately 10 to 12 pupils, and of course the teachers had more time to tutor us. My parents were travelling show people, so I am a proud showman's daughter, and a Welsh woman, and I love to follow the rugby on Radio 5 Live. I'm very proud of my heritage. We attended most of the fairs of South and West Wales, and I couldn't have asked for a nicer, more hard-working and close-knit community. I am proud of my heritage. My parents took a big step and made sacrifices when we moved to the Isle of Wight, as they wanted us three children to have the advantages they didn't and knew I would benefit the most if we lived permanently in one place, because they knew that, as I grew up, I would be trained and obtain work more easily than if we had stayed where we were. They also knew that I would be taught routes to enable me to conduct myself with a long cane as independently as possible, which would benefit me. Everyone looks out for each other, and in all the years we have lived apart from family and friends from that community, The love and loyalty we feel for each other has never diminished. We keep in regular contact and see them when we can.
7: My dad managed the amusement arcade on Ride Seafront for his brother, who was a lot older than him when we moved to the island, and my mum ran her own gift shop. Our house was above and behind it. Though in a minority, I have heard prejudicial remarks being made about us as we have been referred to as gypsies and the Ride Mafia, but that is said in ignorance by those who don't know the first thing about us. I would like to pay tribute to Peter Venables, Rovi at White Sense, who taught me roots when I first started work as a telephonist at what was then Robinson Jarvis and Rolf Solicitors in Ride for over 30 years. This was an advantage to me after being tutored by Peter, as he explained to me how a compass worked and then everything clicked into place. I had wonderful colleagues and my switchboard had tactile indicators attached to them for my benefit instead of lights. Then when the silicon chip came into its own, the board had a certain amount of voice control and was semi-automatic and would use speech. Growing up on a fairground was wonderful. As we covered the same route attending most of the fairs of south and west wales between easter and what we called the back end run from october till the end of november but when i was really little we had fairs to attend over the christmas period then the men of the family would work in the winter maintaining their equipment such as stalls rides and such and would also often take on casual work either selling firewood, as my dad did, where he also worked for the GPO, General Post Office, now Royal Mail, delivering parcels. Some of the young unmarried girls, such as some of my cousins, worked in factories and shops near to their winter quarters. We lived in a caravan, or trailer as they are now called, though ours was more like a wagon, pulled by my dad's matador lorry, and when the fairs closed at 10pm, and we were moving on the next day to another place. Everything had to be pulled down and packed away, so bedtime didn't occur until the early hours, and of course journeys were longer then, as this was before motorways came into being.
9: We kids would travel in the car with mum, as dad drove the lorry and some families who owned rides, like the Dodgems as we called them, had to make more than one trip. It was like living in a moving village as we travelled with the same families. Everyone was known as auntie and uncle, and when mum had her other children when I was four, they would often take me off and play with me to give her more time with them. I loved sitting in the hot dog and candy floss kiosk with my auntie and was fascinated by the candy machine when it spun the sugar. Her toffee apples were to die for. Then hot dogs and burgers came on the scene, but the rule was I mustn't be filled up with rubbish in the mornings. I I wouldn't eat my dinner. I loved going on the rides such as the Walser, octopus, twist swing boats, the big wheel and the roundabouts, but never liked the dodgems. I only remember one small fairground organ playing, but when my parents were young, there were plenty of them and I always loved hearing them talking about it. I was only allowed to have rides, though, if it was quiet and there weren't too many punters around. And, of course, all the latest music was played from speakers attached to the roofs of the rides, as we had to keep up with the latest songs, so people would often gather outside the rides, singing along, until they could board them. What a lucky girl I was! After leaving school... I attended the Royal Normal College for the Blind, then situated eight miles out of Shrewsbury, Shropshire, where the boys' college was about 10 miles from ours. The welfare officers, as they were called then, told us of a boy who also attended the college lived on the island. So my parents offered to give him a lift to college, as they wanted to take me there themselves, as I was new. And that's how I first met Eric Tuckwell who has been a member of Sight for White for many years. I did my CSE exams at school in Wales, but took my O-levels at Shrewsbury. And originally, I was assessed for doing shorthand and typing, but I couldn't visualise the tabulation work involved when typing, because in those days, you had to work out the column work yourself.
7: I only found out that those with my eye condition can't visualise space or distance. So when my parents asked why they had never been informed, they were told it wasn't the place of staff to tell them, which annoyed my parents as they always tried to help me as much as they could. And it made sense to me once I knew, as I've always memorised routes like learning a script, which was the best for me, as I have to learn everything parrot fashion. I then spent three months in Torquay, Devon, at an assessment centre and was rightly assessed for telephony and the rest, as they say, is history. I trained at Pembridge Place, a college in London, and that is where I met Liz, Eric's lovely wife, and the three of us, I am glad to say, have been friends ever since. Fortunately, I was only home for a month after qualifying when I was interviewed for my job at the lawyer's and got it which I was so pleased about as I didn't want to spend any more time away from home. As soon as social services were aware that I was born blind, my parents received a visit from a welfare officer who encouraged and suggested to them that they send me to a sunshine home for the blind. They were residential nurseries taking children in from the age of 18 months up to 5 years old where they then attended the schools for the blind. My parents absolutely refused to let me go, as they said it was bad enough that I had to go away from home to school in the first place, but was understandable, and their view, quite rightly, was that the first five years of a child's life are the most important, because that is where they receive much love and understanding. They were told the usual rubbish, such as I would be mixing with other children, and that I would be well looked after, and their reaction from my wonderful, sensible parents was... Who would pick up an 18-month-old child in the night or whenever they needed comfort in the same way as a parent? They never bothered us again. It was sad in a way because whilst I understand that for some families who may have been struggling, the friends I had at school who went to these homes always seemed insecure, always asking us if we liked them and were they our friends. I felt sorry for them.
9: I developed an age listening to The Archers with Mum. In fact, I don't remember a time when I didn't hear it. We would listen to Radio Luxembourg and then, when the pirate stations came, it was great. At school, we would get into trouble for smuggling our transistor radios under the bedclothes and would listen to it on our headphones. Mine got confiscated many times and I, like many of my friends, were always in trouble for talking too much in lessons about Motown, the Beatles and all the great 60s artists. What a great time to grow up in that decade. I was in the Beatles fan club and loved them. I developed a love of reading which has never left me and I'm also a sponsor of a podcast on a station called Angel Radio which you can get through Alexa, on the internet and on Dab Digital Radio. It is based in Havant and covers the Isle of Wight, Hampshire and Sussex, and everything they play is from the 1890s up to 1969. They feature comedy as well and receive no money from anyone. They raise their own funds by donations, PayPal, pay-to-play days where you can pledge as little as a pound or whatever you want for songs to be played of your choice. As I mentioned previously, I also love Radio 5 Live for the sport and documentaries, plus Radio 4 and 4 Extra for drama and good old Radio 2, plus local radio. I love whining and dining out with family and friends. I'm a great follower of rugby union, plus all the Olympic sports. And I love attending quizzes where I can. I also love going to the theatre and cinema especially now that audio description is often featured. I've had a few setbacks through my life, as we all have, such as suffering from anxiety twice in my life, mostly when I was grieving for my parents, and because of work problems, where in the last year of working there, I was one of 23 people who left, so I know I'm not the only one who found the situation difficult. I suffered a heart attack six years ago, But I don't let it bother me, as I'm on medication, and life is what you make it. You only get out of it what you put into it. I also have osteoarthritis in three of my toes, mildly mildly asthmatic. But there is always someone else worse off, and every day to me is a bonus.
7: I became adventurous when I was at college in London, travelling home on the train for the weekend, usually with a crowd of college friends. We never worried about anyone attacking us and it was much easier to travel on the trains then with the assistance as there were always porters on the platforms, plus the guards who were all superb. The London cabbies were also great too, as when I came back to college on a Sunday night it was late and I promised my parents to use them and sometimes they wouldn't even take any money as they supported many charities. In 1981, I took the big step of flying for the first time, alone at the age of 29, as I wanted to go to America to meet my pen friends, who later became cassette friends, and flew from Heath, Francisco, where I was met by my blind friend Linda, also blind from birth, who came from that area but lived in Sacramento. So she and her husband, who was sighted, took the trouble to do that, and we used the Greyhound bus to go back to their home in Sacramento. I was made so welcome. Linda and I then flew to stay with her Aunt Marge, who lived in the San Francisco area. Both of
2: us took off on our own, visiting Alcatraz. Yoga is on Tuesday at Millbrook House between 1.45 and 2.45pm. The cost is £4 and includes refreshments. All are welcome. Our Godshill Coffee Morning is
1: on Tuesday the 5th of March. This is held at the Old Smithy Godshill between half past ten and twelve o'clock. All are very
2: welcome. Our weekly coffee and chat is on Wednesday at Milnebrook House between ten o'clock and eleven thirty. The cost is two pounds which includes coffee and cake. Staff are always on hand to help with any queries and equipment will be available to try out. Thursday is Mix and Mingle. This group
1: meets between half past ten and two o'clock every week. Booking for this group is essential, and at the moment there is a waiting list for people to join.